This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Peter Wing. And I'm Jinko Featherston. Tonight, we focus on what is happening here in our community regarding access to the digital world and how we can protect ourselves and each other online. We're here from Praveen Sinha, a digital security consultant who will share the work he does and ways we can all protect ourselves online and while using smartphones. And we learn about rural broadband access from Adharaj Sen, the founder of Sentiva Network. We also have some more community events to share with all of you. As always, we have music curated by youth producers, starting with Video Killed the Radio Star by Buggles. Surveillance is a real aspect in our lives online and offline. And the more we know, the better we can protect ourselves. That's right. And it's also why speaking with experts such as Praveen Sinha is so important. Not only will we be speaking about ways we can protect ourselves, but also the threats to activists from online trolls and from things like doxing. He is media justice intern Lily Lukau speaking with Praveen Sinha, a digital security consultant. This is Lily Lukau with Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Praveen Sinha, a digital security consultant. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thanks, Lily. It's so good to be here. Thanks for hosting this. Please share with us more about yourself. So I work as a privacy and security uh, consultant, uh, particularly when it comes to digital and internet security. And I work with uh, a lot of a lot of different types of folks, uh, sometimes journalists, sometimes movement organizations, um, sometimes domestic violence victims, uh, sometimes sort of folks that may be at the margins of, of the law at the moment. And uh, what I do is I basically help people come up uh, with strategies uh, in their personal uh, day-to-day lives and also with the, with the groups that they're working with to basically uh, shield themselves from uh, violent online attacks. Uh, it could be surveillance, and when I say surveillance, it's uh, it's a big topic. And I do a lot of work with security risks that might be online internet troll mobs or uh, attacks that are known as doxing, or they could also be things like having uh, people spy on you through software and through your internet connections and through your, mo- through your mobile phone connections. Also, just kind of thinking through, you know, general uh, what's known as operational security or or sort of how to protect yourself in your day-to-day life. Thank you so much. Would you be willing to share with us some information just about what surveillance is to you, what your definition of surveillance is? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, one of the things that people have in their mind when they think about surveillance is they kind of have this idea that uh, maybe there is just like a person that's listening into their phone calls or maybe they're bugging in their rooms or, uh, you know, reading their internet messages like their email or something. And it's it's a very sort of monolithic idea of surveillance. And if there's something that I would want to get people, um, what I want to shift the thinking of people to is to get away from this sort of model of like just a single wiretap 
to understand that surveillance is really a, a very large ecosystem. And that ecosystem includes all the people that are trying to sell ads to you. So uh, oftentimes, you know, when we think about if a product or an app that we download, uh, maybe, you know, collecting information on you, we kind of think of it as kind of harmless, the kind of as, oh, well, they're just going to try to sell ads to me, right? And so we've gotten so used to it that at this point, when we talk about a topic in front of a device and we see an ad for Facebook over a conversation that we just have, we're very, we're very much just sort of like, oh, they're listening into us and, uh, you know, they're just trying to uh, monetize off of that. Um, but what we really have to think, uh, be aware of in the surveillance world is that, uh, those companies that uh, are selling this information about you, um, these these data brokers, basically this data broker industry, uh, doesn't just sell your information to ad networks, but they sell it to governments. They sell it to uh, all sorts of people that may not have uh, your best interests or just a merely a financial transaction at heart. So um, one example of this might be a corporation called Palantir, which is based out of Palo Alto. And this corporation provides the data feeds to agencies like ICE, uh, to agencies like the Department of Homeland Security for a bunch of reasons. And part of the data feed that they collect is this bot data that they get from these data brokers that are listening into you. So uh, it's really a, a private government partnership that forms the surveillance. And so really when you're taking actions against uh, in your day-to-day -day life to protect yourself from people selling ads to you, that's actually going a long way to protect yourself also from government surveillance and then also private surveillance like doxing as well. Thank you so much. That's really interesting for me to hear because I honestly had not that strong of an understanding of doxing and understanding there's data brokers. Um, that's so interesting. Thank you so and, much for sharing. Yeah. And actually, I mean, on that topic, uh, there um, there's a, a whole host of, of data brokers and some multi-billion dollar industry. And these are all companies that you've probably never heard of. Uh, and they operate completely behind the scenes. So Facebook sells to them, Twitter sells to them. And, uh, and you can actually tap into some of these records yourself. Like if you might even... Uh, go search for yourself uh, on Google, and sometimes like you'll see records which have your personal address and your phone numbers, uh, or maybe even your family's address and phone number. And these come from uh, data brokers that uh, look at you, you, your utility bills, or they look at uh, you know your social media, and then they try to aggregate all of that information. And I think for young people, one of the advantages that they have in this ecosystem is that. Uh, you're actually protected by law um, under federal law if you're under a certain age, under the age of like 14. So, and uh, younger people like under the age of 18 typically don't have utility bills or property in their records. And so that actually kind of gives you a head start um, because there's actually in some ways less information uh, on you in these data brokers than there would be uh, with older folks. So it's it's something for young people to keep in mind, you know, as they're you know, going out in the world and going to college to like think about how uh, they could protect themselves and, and the value of actually like, you know, keeping their data uh, private as they're getting older. Yeah. So you're saying that young folk are more protected, but what are ways that they can protect themselves online and while using smartphones? Yeah. So I think the first thing to be aware of is that every app uh, has an incentive to surveil you, basically. And that may not seem like a big deal, um, but again, depending on who you are, this this could become a big deal, right? And um, I think that you know, young people 
the first thing that they should be aware of is most companies have what's called a privacy policy on their app. And this privacy policy will kind of give you guidelines of what the company uh, will sell or will not sell. And in the news this week, uh, there's a face app that's become really popular, right? And uh, this face app is basically saying they can do whatever they want with your face um, and uh, you don't really have any control over it. And this face app is, is really, it's not unique. I mean, to a certain degree, Facebook and a lot of other companies do it. Uh, Snapchat also, right? And and I think one of the things on the flip side of this is that a lot of young people that have adopted Snapchat, for example, or a lot of these apps, which are great, they're, they're lots of fun, um, but they've also inadvertently kind of trained up a whole new generation of facial surveillance uh, through these apps. And so this is something that I think older generations have not had to deal with. And we don't really know the full implications of what, uh, you know, the facial surveillance means. Like once uh, the facial surveillance that's in Snapchat gets linked up to uh, airport cameras or to bus station cameras, like they're, like what's happening right now in China, that future is not very far in the United States as well. Uh, and what does that mean for all of us? I, I don't really know, but I think it's also, uh, you know, younger folks that are really going to feel the impact of that in the next, you know, three, four, five years. So. Yeah, thank you so much. Are there any other ways that our phones and apps are already collecting data from us? Yeah. Um, and I think uh, there's a lot of guides out there on the internet, which will help you kind of clamp down on on the ways that your apps are collecting information. Um, but I think the one thing to be familiar with is just uh, the settings on your phone to make sure that you look at your location data, for example, and uh, you're not spreading uh, you know, your location um, to apps that don't need it. Uh, and even apps that do need it, you have to be kind of, you have to worry sometimes because uh, I think uh, one app that is really popular called Tinder, right, which is like a dating app and you put your location in it. Well, it turns out that Tinder uh, actually broadcasts your information. Snapchat, too, actually broadcasts your information to the public. And I, I think they kind of fixed that. But these things are, are things that you really have to be aware of because once the information is out there, you know, it's really hard to, to get it back. You know, so I think uh, location-based auditing uh, in your settings is, is probably one of the most important things. Uh, the other thing is to uh, have a, a really solid PIN code. And I don't mean just like a four-digit PIN code, but uh, this one is, is more for like if you're going to like a protest or if you're maybe like a youth and you might be undocumented, maybe you're worried about your phone being seized. So maybe you're crossing a, an airport border uh, or maybe you're at a bus station. You know, your phone has a lot of contacts in it and it has your whole life and your whole network. So it's important to... Uh, if you're in one of these situations, so choose a very strong alphanumeric pin. Uh, and it's also important to be familiar uh, for Android folks in particular to encrypt your phone. Uh, so that way, if your phone is seized, damage is limited. Uh, and then within the apps, it's just a matter of, again, having awareness of like privacy policy and what sort of data your apps are consuming. And you can, you can usually see that through the settings. Uh, I'll also say one final thing is that a good habit to get into for Android uh, users is to use a malware scanner, and that's because there's a lot of viruses out there uh, for Android phones that can go, and you don't even know that they're there, but they're actually sucking down your battery. They're eating your, uh, you know, you're eating your data in your battery, and you don't even know it. Uh, but they're also uh, performing surveillance on you. So, um, so it's good to have a virus scanner also on your phone uh, for those sorts of things. 
Thank you so much. So um, previously you mentioned doxing. Can you explain more about what doxing is and some ways that you have seen it used? Definitely. So doxing is basically the act of finding out every piece of personally identifiable information about a person. Uh, so this could include, uh, you know, your name and address, but also uh, your family's uh, addresses and names uh, and your phone numbers. Uh, and it's whatever could be found on the Internet. And there's actually a lot of information that would that, that's kind of surprising. Like a lot of times people's passwords get breached uh, and leaked and you can find that on the Internet. So that would go into like a, a doxing document. It could be, you know, information like the IP address of your laptop, uh, or it could be uh, just where you bank. Uh, you know, these small details uh, which will add up. And what happens is that these attacks are done in a in a mob. So typically, what happens is that your information gets uh, put into a like a Google Doc or some sort of collaborative document on the internet that people can all edit at one time and put all of your information down. So basically they have your whole history and then then they use that to launch attacks on you. And uh, by launching attacks, what I mean is that they will try to maybe hack into your accounts or maybe show up to your house, uh, you know, just use whatever they can do to intimidate you. Sometimes they might even like call the police uh, on you and do a technique which is called swatting, which is like reporting a fake bomb threat like at your house so the police will show up. Uh, or do just pranks like order pizza to your house and Usually, like, this doxing works on popular forums, uh, basically online hate communities at this point, uh, unfortunately. And usually they, uh, they'll pick a target uh, that's in the news or, you know, for whatever reason they don't like. And they'll go and um, try to get all the information and, uh, and then launch an intense series of attacks, usually in the span of like a few days. And when you're living through it, it's a, it's a very scary experience. Uh, so it's it can be overwhelming because these attacks, they, they start off at like a trickle at first, but then within a matter of hours, you know, you might be getting hundreds of phone calls or you might uh, be elevated in the right-wing news as uh, some monster and you know, people will be coming to your house and uh, it's, it's a very scary period uh, for a lot of people that face this. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. That's honestly so um, upsetting to hear that people can just gather so much information about someone so quickly and use it as such a tactic of threatening someone else. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing. Thanks, yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Uh, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Praveen Sinha, for your words and um, the work that you do. I know that you can't disclose everything that you are doing, but it's really important and I hope you know how much you're appreciated. Your work is so valuable. Oh, thank you so much, Lily. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your time and also just sharing um, the importance of, of young people and of everyone understanding the importance of their own digital security. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you for all the contribution you're doing to make this world a great place. Like, I think it's really valuable um, being engaged in, in journalism like this, and uh, I'm really excited for you know you and everyone here. and the work they're doing in New Mexico. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. For Generation Justice, I'm Lily Lukow. Thank you, Praveen. Internet privacy can be very real and very risky, so I appreciate you informing us about this issue and reminding us of tools that are available to us. Yeah, thank you again for joining us, Praveen. 
This next song was handpicked by Praveen himself. It's called My Favorite Mutiny by The Coup, featuring Talib Kweli. After that, we have Get Off the Internet by La Tigre. Just way too smart to question The enemy, the brothers of a dark complexion The governments of the world is shark infested They have the own weaponry like Sharpton and Heston, man Look, it gets low, man Low, uh, I'm talking about Sometimes, we can all forget how lucky we are to have internet service everywhere we go. From doing homework, to paying bills, to applying for jobs, or just learning new things. Adiraj Sen is a 42-year veteran of the information technology industry who started Santiva Networks, a rural broadband internet provider for an underserved area east of Santa Fe. Here is Media Justice intern Barbara Ramirez speaking with Adiraj Sen, founder of Santiva Networks. This is Barbara Ramirez with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Raj Sen, founder of Santiva Networks, a broadband internet provider based in Pecos, New Mexico. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you for having me. Please share with us more about yourself. Well, I'm uh, a uh, small business owner in New Mexico. I moved here about 12 years ago uh, seeking a respite from corporate America. It happened to be at a time when the economy was going sort of downhill. And I feel like I needed to make a change, maybe reinvent myself. I happened to come across a business, a small business for sale that I then purchased and uh, the rest is kind of history as they say. Uh, it was a small internet service provider, and I proceeded to provide a service to a very underserved area of New Mexico, and there are many. And it's been a very rewarding experience, I must say. Thank you for being here with us. Tell us about your journey coming to New Mexico. Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, I moved here in uh, 2007. I'd been here on one other visit and this was over Thanksgiving. Uh, I lived in Michigan at that time. I had been there for over 11 years working in IT and technology for a long, long time there. My job, I knew, was going to either my job was going to go away in that the company I worked for was being acquired, or rather there was a merger, an acquisition, and a year after that, Many of the folks were asked to either move to another location or make a decision whether they wanted to continue working there. And because it was the start of that recession period, I figured that was not the good place to be. 
I needed to make a big change. I came at that time to visit, and I met some of the folks that were looking for internet service. They sort of encouraged me to consider, and I didn't think that that was a good option for me at that point in time, but then given that my other choice was to look for another job in the IT field, didn't seem very attractive either because was not not a good time to look for a job. So at one point, you know, you toss uh, the cautionary voices in your head <laughs> out of the window and you say, you know, if you, have, if you have to do something, you decide to do it and then you just jump in. Could you tell us more about Sentiva Networks and its mission? Sentiva Networks is what is known as a rural internet provider and is also a what we call a WISP. That stands for Wireless Internet Service Provider. It happens to be also a technology that works very well in the mountainous terrain that we operate in because it allows us to reach nooks and crannies where people live without having to invest in sort of huge costs of infrastructure. We're still a small company, but we consider ourselves part of the community, which to me is a more important element of uh, doing what I do or what we do than just running another business. Thank you for sharing that with us and for doing that work, which is very important. I myself consider that internet, it's a necessity. You're very correct. Um, internet is now an indispensable part of most people's lives. There are obviously pockets and societies that uh, in around the globe that do not have good access to it or the costs are prohibitive. Thank you. Can you describe for us what access to broadband can be like for rural communities? Um, rural communities have suffered from a handicap in that internet providers don't necessarily want to invest in the infrastructure to bring broadband to such communities. This uh, results in a progressive lag where these communities fall farther and farther behind, even as internet technology and and broadband speeds are increasing at a very rapid rate over the last decade or two so when you when 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 the communities fall behind there is this resignation within people that oh this is never going to happen because nobody has nobody's interested in us they They just don't want to serve us because we don't have the the, the voice, the clout, and uh, they cannot get these the bigger companies interested in them. It's not seen as as the enabler that it really is. So the 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 folks that benefit benefit most from it are uh, larger urban areas. 
How would threats to net neutrality protections affect broadband access in rural communities? Rural communities, I think, are vulnerable whenever large corporations tend to influence or have influence over what they provide. The threat to net neutrality, in effect, is that very thing, in, in essence. What larger corporations are saying is that we will control what we provide you, and we will either speed up something or slow down something else. It's really not a fair and level playing field in that respect. Rural customers are just like any other customers, but again, they're not because of where they live. I was thinking how important it is to have internet access nowadays because you have to apply for jobs, you have to do school stuff, pay bills, and it's very important for everyone to have access and good speed. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Um, I have had experience with uh, customers or folks that are not customers, but and therefore don't and don't necessarily have any internet service St school students that have internet when they go to school but don't have access to it when they go back home so they are unable to finish some homework assignments they have difficulty doing research online and and that's a very difficult situation to live with day in and day out because then they are dependent on their time in, in school to finish work that uh, they may want to do at home if they could. Absolutely. And what are some misconceptions about technology and youth that you have seen? Humans have uh, always used technology to advance uh, humankind, and they have uh, invested a lot of their mental capacities in trying to make life easier as well as make uh, society, in fact, better using technology. Some of the misconceptions that I have observed in youth especially is that there has tended to be a somewhat of a over-dependence on technology because what happens is you tend to ignore the underlying concepts and the underlying uh, morality, ethics, if you will, of human interaction and just focus on just the technology. So there are many people that think, well, how can I even live without a social media presence? Or what would I do if my cash registers just doesn't work? Can I add up the numbers myself. There is a huge over-reliance built into society now on technology because, oh, the machine will do it for you. So that obviates the, the, the need to think things through. I totally agree with you because, as I said, the Internet is a necessity, but youth sometimes over-rely, as you said, and sometimes... We think that we cannot live without the internet, but it's because we were born and raised with the internet all of our lives. Mm -hmm.
It's important to recognize that the internet is a necessity, but we need to know how to identify. What is the importance of people of color working within STEM or IT fields? I think it's very important. It's an area where there are a lot of jobs, employment. It makes uh, folks that really have a good grasp of it in their formative years very employable and certainly would help, you know, if uh, people from very diverse ethnic and cultural backgrounds did take STEM as in technology careers and education and looked at it, you know, uh, as, as vehicles for their future growth and advancement. Thank you. Where can people go to find out more information about Sentiva Networks? We have a website that get, gives some information. However, as I, we may have touched on earlier, this is a field that is constantly undergoing change. So even as we speak today, we are in the process of upgrading our services. So because of this flux, some of the information that is on the website is not quite current. And what's the name of the website? It's called uh, www.sentivanetworks.com. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to add? Well, I would like to just add that uh, young folks, you know, even as they um, con are considering careers in technology-related fields, should also look at a small business uh, as an option. It doesn't always necessarily mean huge investments, financial commitments, but it's, it's a very fulfilling way for young folks to feel like they're really able to give back and to be able to grow in many different ways. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and speak with us and educate our community. And thank you for the work that you do. It is very important for our community. Thank you very much. For Generation Justice, I am Barbara Ramirez. Thank you so much, Raj. I think that as youth, we do have an over-dependence on internet usage at times. We use the internet every day, and if we are caught without it, we can feel helpless. But there is also a huge need for the internet for school and everyday life. I also love the fact that you brought up that more youth from our generation should gain more interest in STEM programs. Thank you again, Raj. Now, in honor of the connections that you are making for your community, here's the song Connection by One Republic. I'm just trying to paint the picture for me, something I could give a damn about and maybe 40 years, and I'll be ready and willing and able to edit the story, because there's so many people here to be so damn lonely. Welcome back to Generation Justice. It's time to share exciting social justice events around town. Here's some ways that you can be involved, take action, and stand in solidarity with the community. 
First up is planning around the New Mexico school climate strikes. There will be an August climate strike community meeting plus a potluck hosted by Fight for Our Lives Albuquerque chapter. This will be at the Albuquerque Center for Peace and Justice on Saturday, August 3rd from 2 to 4 p.m. It's a chance for youth to become involved and informed about the nationwide climate strike movement. For more info, contact Fight for Our Lives Albuquerque on Facebook. That sounds awesome. Our next event is the UNM Resilience Colloquium. This event welcomes diverse participation to begin exploring connections between urban and rural communities and environments. That's right. The UNM Resilience Colloquium will be held at the UNM Centennial Engineering Center on August 6, 8 a.m. and August 7 at 5 p.m. For more information, go to resilience.unm.edu. We want to remind you that Generation Justice is recruiting youth producers. That's right. If you or someone you know is of the ages 13 to 25 and is looking for an opportunity to strengthen their abilities in multimedia and broadcast or learn leadership skills, then Generation Justice is the answer. Generation Justice is an amazing opportunity for anyone who wants to learn more about themselves and the community and gain skills in communication and leadership. I've been at Generation Justice for a couple months now and have learned a lot about the career I want to pursue and that a strong bond with the community is needed to prosper. I've been with Generation Justice for a year. I learned so much about media skills and social justice issues. I think that GJ is a great opportunity for those that want to build or strengthen multimedia and communication skills. For more information and to apply, visit generationjustice.org and click the tab Youth. Thank you, Peter. Now we have a song dedicated to the young people out there who are thinking about applying to be GJ Youth Producers. Here is Rebel Frequency by Natalie Rise. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of community action. We'd like to thank our amazing guests, Atiraj Sen and Praveen Sinha. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Kateri Zuni and Roberta Rael. And thank you to our interviewers, Barbara Ramirez and Lily Lucao, and GJ alumni Pilar Monfiletto for production support. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Kon Alma Health Foundation, and of course, all of you, who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Our last songs of the night are Deep Blue by Arcade Fire and Sacred Distance from Kingdom Hearts 
I'm Peter Wing. And I'm Junko Featherston. Have, Have an, an amazing, amazing night. night.